0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Here comes Crawford. Ten seconds left. Working one on one. Drives it. Actually, got it stripped away. Turnover, and the Jazz have it. You are Locked On Jazz. Your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. It is Locked On Jazz for the 11th of October. Dante Axum's defense and the evolving point guard position of the NBA. We'll talk about Rudy Gobert, George Hill, Chris Johnson's play, and a very disturbing trend in the opening games of the preseason for the Jazz. Plus, we'll look around the rest of the NBA on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. ba bum 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 pow How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA Insider. You are tuned in to Locked On Jazz, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, the fastest growing sports audio network in the world. The Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, how are you? thanks so much for tuning in Jazz got the win last night we'll discuss that as I said we'll talk about dante 's play uh, late in that ball games. We saw a bunch of other individuals and a really disturbing trend uh, in the early parts of preseason that have really has to be rectified if the jazz are going to have any success. At all this season so those are the things on the docket plus we'll look around the rest of the NBA what's going on in the preseason today uh, on the program I'm glad to have you with me appreciate it very much uh, reminder to you that uh, pins across the world is how we start each and every program and you can uh, send those in please do at dlock 9 at gmail.com dlock at 09 uh, at gmail.com. Bunch of programs across the board on the Locked On podcast network that are available for you. NBA channel, NFL channel can both be subscribed to. Uh, So find your favorite team, uh, jump aboard, or just find the team that interests you. The big story of the day, it's always being covered on the local angle each and every. Every day, which is awfully cool. Today's show is brought to you by our friends at Sherlock Intelligence, as well as Devin Cash of Equity Real Estate. Sherlock Intelligence does uh, big data work for the middle-sized company or the small company or startup company, so you can compete with the big boys. They're right out of Utah and do great uh, work. Visit them at SherlockIntelligence.com. And Devin Cash... He's become the stall, kind of the, the statement of this program. He's, like, identified himself uh, with this. And uh, he's Equity Real Estate. He'll give you a pair of Jazz Season tickets if he helps you buy or sell a home with Devin. All right, let's get right to our pins across the world. This is where we start each and every program. We love to have people of the community uh, stop by, share a story with us. And let's go to Jacob Miller. You can put a pin in Draper, Utah. My name's Jake Miller, and I'm 17 years old. Love that. I've been a Jazz fan since as long as I can remember. My favorite player until he retired was Memo. Seeing him knocking down corners threes uh, was originally how I got hooked ever since. I've been a huge Jazz fan. My dad has season tickets, and we've been going to games for 10 years. My current team gets, this current team gets me really excited, and I'm a big fan of all of the players. P.S. Gordon is criminally underrated. The jazz are what got me really hooked on basketball, and now I play high school back. Thanks for all basketball. Thanks for all your work in the podcast and the rest of Lockdown Podcast Network. I really appreciate it. Two random notes. I'm a massive Derek Rose fan. And two, I've been listening to the podcast for two years Let me give you a thought, Jake. Um, one I think it's really cool that you're 17 and listening to the podcast because it reminds me of when I was a kid, probably much younger than 17, and I would listen to KNBR 68 on my little digital clock, uh, Ken Dito Sports Phone 68. It was very sad when I got older and found out it was an awful, boring program. Hopefully you won't do the same with this. And two, I might find someone other than Derrick Rose due to the news these days. I think he sounds like he lives a fairly interesting, despicable life. Um, So, you know, maybe. That's just up to you. All right, let's get to our... uh, our kind of tip-off story of the day, I, this is a big-picture story. I thought Jonathan Sharks, who was on Locked on NBA with us earlier, did a really good piece about James Harden playing point guard, what's happened to point guard, and then there was Dante, uh, not necessarily closing out the game as point guard, but just as the 6'6 six, six defensive guard on the ball. And if you look at what's happening in the NBA, James Harden has really become the point guard for the Mike D'Antoni uh, Houston Rockets. D'Angelo Russell was one of the picks of last, the number two pick. Emmanuel Mudiay was an early pick. So the top picks of last year's draft are six foot five point guards. James Harden now at six eight with I think a six eleven wingspan has really become a point guard. Chris Dunn at six four with a long wingspan has become the num- the first you know the number one point guard uh, drafted in this year's draft. And so this is what is happening to that position. The point guard position not only has it evolved for all this time from a playmaking non John Stockton s distributor, but now it's become much more of a long, lanky, uh, you know, de- defensive switching. Hardens not so much, but the other guys and you, the old six one, six two, six three point guard, I, I think is done. I mean, that's where, the, as much as anything, the Jazz really missed on Trey is he just was too small. He was too small to defend. He obviously wasn't particularly efficient um, along the way. I was bummed to see he got hurt the other day in Washington, didn't play in their preseason game. I'm hoping that he can kind of find a niche in the NBA, but I think that that niche is, you know, DJ Augustine's another ninth pick of a draft who's bounced around. And so what I thought late in the game last night we saw a little bit was that same kind of role from Dante in just a very different you know, he's not the shooting scoring guard at 22 minutes. He goes one of five shooting, and he's not very comfortable offensively. But defensively, late in the game, he was just great. Just absolutely great. He slid on three plays late in the game. Uh, if you run through the final plays of the game, he makes the defensive stop. The first one, uh, Jamal Crawford tries to drive at him, and Crawford's not the most efficient, awesome offensive player uh, but he, you know, he has a he has a tendency to be able to make some plays, uh, late in games as we learned, you know, painfully last year. Is he drives them? He actually puts his kind of shoulder into Dante and forces, you know, Dante takes a a pretty big shot to the face uh, with 49 seconds left of a 92-92 game, and they run this kind of weave set up top, and it ends up giving uh, t- Crawford gets misses the shot he's off balance Dante's length's bother him he couldn't get by him Dante gets hit in the face and Chris Johnson goes down makes a play the next time down they run the same similar weave set Dante ends up back on the ball defensively this time it's Austin Rivers Rivers drives at the uh at Dante Dante forces him into a wild crazy turnover and uh now we get down to one more. It's 95-94 with five seconds left. Crawford's taking it to Dante, and Dante strips it from him. Those are, th- those are three fabulous defensive plays. All night long, Dante's length, speed, and ability to recover were a huge part of the story. And it it just showed what you know, things he's able to do still. Now, offensively, he's not great. So, and I'm not sure, you know, we should be judging him. Uh, And I think we have to be careful to only judge the positives, frankly. Uh, You know, there's almost a level where I say, hey, we shouldn't judge him for the first 41 games. And then I go here and give him all these positive critiques. To some extent, what I'm saying is you're not allowed to criticize him for 41 games. Eh, I'm not sure that's totally fair. Uh, But, you know, he's still got a long way to go on the offensive end, but we saw what his value uh, is defensively. And the other thing we saw last night is that with Gordon out, particularly with Alec out, there there's going to have to be a lot of playing of Shelvin Mack, uh, at the at, in Dante and George Hill in a in a wings fashion. The Jazz got very small last night uh, for large portions of the game. Uh, and interestingly, did really, really well when Trey Lyles was on the floor last night. The Jazz defense was just terrific, and Lyles played a lot of a lot of five, which was uh, surprising. But you know that's something we're going to see is is how the Jazz uh, kind of deal out Alec right now and without Gordon here for a while. You are going to have to play Mac with Exum. You're going to have to play Exum with Hill. You're going to have to play these guys to get enough wing minutes, particularly if you're going small at any point. We saw Joe Johnson uh, play some four last night. We saw Trey Lyles play some five last night. We saw Joe Ingles play a lot of four last night, which um, is an interesting one. It didn't work well last year. I'm wondering with a better team whether it's going to work well this year. So that should be uh, interesting to kind of keep an eye on along the way. But the story to me last night was a, as a reminder all night long. Not, I mean, the final three plays really are the ones that highlight it. But all night long, Dante's defense was great. And when Dante was on the floor, uh, in the 22 minutes he played, our defensive rating was a 92.5. It was terrific. Uh, we couldn't score, though, right? So there's the flip side. When he was on the floor, uh, we had, I think, other than Shelvin, I think we had our worst, off, our worst offensive rating. And so, you know, he's... He really doesn't use possessions, he's, and he's got the ball in his hands a decent amount of time. Uh, so it's that's going to be a little bit of a trick uh, for the Jazz to figure out with him as he's developing right now offensively uh, and how that works. But it was great to see him, and I think really important for him to be in those positions and contribute. I mean, I think we, we've got to remember he, he's a 21-year-old kid with limited experience who probably, if we really get down to it, is not entirely certain he belongs yet. You know, I ask all these guys in a sit-down interview I do with them, when did you realize you belong in the in the NBA? And it's an interesting answer you get. The older guys, you know, it's they'll, they'll say two or three years um, into the league. And I think that you um, you'd be surprised, kind of, how late they are into the league when they say this. So, uh, you know. We'll, we'll we'll find out, but th- those were probably very important moments for Dante. So really cool. Uh, today's show is brought to you by Sherlock Intelligence. Uh, they are a data group out of Utah, uh, and and do really neat work. So if if you're dealing with a um, you know a major company out there there's no question that they're spending all sorts of money on data collection because in this day and age if you don't get take advantage of the data collection to know your com- your customer and know their patterns and what's taking place well then you're you're probably, I hate to say it, but you're being negligent. And, and I get it because it's hard to find someone. You, you're not going to be able to staff it yourself. And so what do you do? If you're, if you're the mid-level bank out there, if you're a small startup company, what you do is you go to SherlockIntelligence.com and you have them – give you real intelligence for your business. They'll capture the data from multiple sources to give you a holistic picture. And then they'll help you visualize the data. I've really enjoyed that. I learned visually. Um, and so they've done a really wonderful uh, job of that is, is putting the data. And then they not only help you analyze it, but give you the data in a way that you can analyze it. So as I said, if you don't know your own data about your own customer in this day and age, it's negligent. It's silly to let that prove... You know, prohibit your company from getting where it needs to get to. So let Sherlock Intelligence do that for you. They analyze your business, get your data, help you grow your profits, find the patterns, know your customers, make the right decisions based on that information. It's SherlockIntelligence.com or call 855-339-7774. That's 855-339-7774. Not to mention they're actually just really nice guys also. All right, let me uh, d- jump into the issue that has me really bothered. Um, and this, I I I don't know when I'm supposed to, like, be like, "Hey, let's cool the jets." It's not that big a deal, or when I'm about when I should say, "Hey, there's something really wrong here." So, I think this is really correctable. But if this doesn't change, there's something disturbing with the Jazz in their first three games of the year. Okay, let's. And that is the lack of three-point shot attempts. So, the Houston Rockets are taking 40 of their 88 shots from three. Brooklyn is taking 33 of 76% of their shots from three. The Warriors are taking 33 of 75 shots from three right now. Teams are just letting it fly. And... The fact is that the league last year, 28% of the shots in the NBA were threes. Kevin Pelton and I have argued about whether it's going to be over or under 30. I'm convinced it's going to be over 30. Pelton says it's going to be under 30% of threes. The next part of this that's really important to understand is that last year, one of the biggest correlations to wins was just taking threes. So the top eight teams in the league last year in percentage of three-point attempts, not makes, not percentage, just attempts, made the playoffs. The top 10 of 12 made the playoffs. The Jazz last year were 14th in the league. They were the... Of all of the Western Conference teams above them, made the playoffs. The... To try to get into the playoffs, and without shooting the three, very few teams are able to do that. But it is clear last year there was a direct correlation between teams that shot the three and teams that made the playoffs. Now, San Antonio, Miami, and Memphis were in the bottom six and made the playoffs. So it's not impossible, but they were the only three of the bottom ten that did, contrasting to eight of the top ten in attempts did make it, right? So of the bottom 10 teams in the league, three of uh, 10 attempts, three of 10 made the playoffs. In the top, eight of 10 made it. Okay, there's a correlation between three-point attempts and success. I looked at our roster this year and thought that this team, with the diversity of three-point shooting, with the amount of different players who are 35% or above... I thought the Jazz would go from shooting about 29, 28.8% of their shots as threes, about 288 shots as threes, up to 34, 33, 34% of their shots as threes. Thus far, in the preseason, 21% of our shots are threes. If we were to do that for a season... Last year, we would have had the third-worst rate of three-point shots. Okay? This year, we're by far the lowest. It's not even close. So, that's actually not true. I think Phoenix under Earl Watson is taking fewer threes. They're at 19% of their shots are threes. Interestingly, Atlanta where the Jazz have some heavy influence, is at 22% and low. And interestingly, San Antonio is low. So what I'm not clear about here is that the teams that are... Now san antonio 's low taking twenty six percent of their shots as threes and we 're at twenty, so that 's a pretty big difference and maybe that 's san antonio 's persona a little bit, but San Antonio last year moved to a heavy post up team who didn 't shoot as many threes Atlanta that influ- has a heavy influence on the jazz is not shooting as many threes and we 're sitting taking the fewest threes now we still take the fewest shots i think we 're probably last in pace of play again in the in the preseason, uh, unless maybe milwaukee's as slow as we are, but i, I 'm guessing we 're probably the slowest. Team in the league again, uh, the the Jazz are only taking seventy two shots a game compared to you know some other teams are up at the eighty five ninety mark, but the, they we're just not shooting threes at all. Taking fifteen point three threes a game. Now it might be preseason. It might be not playing together. I I I don't I don't know. Um, we're not making a lot of them. We're at thirty point four percent, and so I'm not. It's how about this? It's disconcerting, and it's a trend that if it were to be five to eight games into the regular season and we're still doing this, then I'd be surprised um, and i and I don't really know why it should be because we have three point shooters, so uh. I, I'm, it's, let's just, it's there, right? Like, and I'm sure, I, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm pretty certain, I would guess, that the coaching staff today is discussing, wonder why we're not getting any threes. Let's look at film and figure out why we're not getting any threes. By the way, Milwaukee, Washington, and Dallas are playing slower than us right now. I made the comment, we're probably last in pace of play. It, that's not true. Milwaukee in two games, da, Washington and Dallas. Um, our pace might have been uh, fast last night because we had 8 million um, foul shots, and so it increases possessions. So, anyway, we're three games in the preseason. It's not the end of the world, but it's a little strange. How's that? Is that fair? Like, it's a little, wow, like uh, this is exactly the opposite of where. I thought um, we would be okay there now let 's figure out and see um, just put it back to the side of your mind no one 's like no one 's doing anything wrong or there 's nothing anything too exciting. Um, about it. By the way, I'd like to thank Cody Eden. He sent in kind of that question about what's going on with the threes. We obviously, I think all of us have been wondering about it, but Cody Eden had dropped me that note and I want to thank Cody uh, for that question for today's uh, show. I, I think the other one interesting that's going on here is that Rudy Gobert is just getting himself more available around the basket. And on the flip side, I cannot tell you how important that is. So You would look at a game like last night, and last night's box score, and Rudy Gobert goes 4 of 6, and he has 9 points, I think it was. And, you know, nobody's really going to think much of it, and Rudy's not that big an offensive influence, and he doesn't have any post moves. He had a nice kind of roll through the lane. And you know what? 9 points on 6 shot attempts is uh, a big deal. He only went to the free throw line for 2. So... When you start talking, and as many of you know, my way I look at the game is PAC, points above average created, and it, that might not seem like that big a deal. And none of us, you know, you're not going to talk about him in the realm of, oh, the best players in the NBA when you talk about uh, someone who gets, but you know what? It actually is it actually is some of the best players in the NBA. So let me put this in perspective for you last year. If you looked at the players who had the most positive influence on games offensively, Hassan Whiteside, who I don't really think of as a great offensive player, um, uses 13 possessions a night, and he came out to be the eighth most influential offensive player in an NBA game. DeAndre Jordan uses 12 possessions a night, um, and you know has about... Uh, Ten scoring opportunities is a better way to say it. Last night, Rudy used six and a half. And DeAndre Jordan came out as the 10th most positively impactful offensive player. Ennis Cantor comes out as the 11th most. Jonas Valanciunas comes out as the 14th most. Dwight Howard comes out as the 15th most. You know, what, what is going on here is that big men who dunk and shoot 62% from the field really matter regardless of their free throw shooting. If you can suddenly get 10 scoring opportunities a night and your offensive player is shooting at 67, 65, 66%, your offense becomes very good, very fast. And it's, you know, it doesn't seem like a huge amount, but if you suddenly realize, you know, Rudy only getting, when we're only taking 72 shots, that actually becomes a decent amount of your offense. So 10% of our shots last night were, you know, 70% shots, well, that's a huge deal. And you start moving that to an average player on a mid-range jumper or something like that, and what you end up having is you end up with, you know – a team that's just not quite as efficient. So, if you look at the best, the big men who are so big that they're able to get to the basket and score despite using very few possessions, Stephen Adams is one. He used six scoring opportunities a night. His pack is plus one. He shot 61%. If the Jazz can get that from Gobert this year, that's a big deal. Like, this. Too often we think of the offensive player as this guy who's got all of this dynamic stuff to him, but the fact is that the offensive players are who can put the ball in the hoop last year, Rudy had the best pack on the team at point six he was but he shot fifty six percent can he up that because he's available more at the basket he's gotten bigger and stronger and be a sixty percent guy around the basket plus the way he played defense last night you said that's a big deal so it, it's I, I feel like, and I may, you know, I may be very much making this up in my head, I feel like whenever I talk about this that I get this resistance, that the best and most influential offensive players have to be the ones with the ball in their hands, who make plays, who beat people one-on-one and do all of these things. That's not true. The most influential offensive players are the ball put the ball in the hole regularly. And even if it's for only nine or ten scoring opportunities a night, if you can put the ball in it 65% of the time, that's huge. And so if we can get Rudy from last year where his scoring opportunities were few and far between, uh, he you know, wasn't a factor, he used eight scoring opportunities a night, bumped that up to 10 or 11 and have him catch the ball like he has been doing and making plays, that helps the offense considerably. Considerably. Again, top. Let, let, I, I say this with statistics to you all the time. If you have a statistical breakdown that all makes sense and then there's something one person in there that doesn't make sense, my suggestion to you is not to throw the number out, but to reevaluate that player. So the best offensive players in the league last year were Steph Curry, Kevin Pack, Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kawhi Leonard, JJ Reddick. That seems a little strange. Clay Thompson. Okay, these five of these LeBron James, six of these first seven make complete sense. Reddick, you should then consider a little bit what it means value of three, then your next is Hassan Whiteside, then your next is DeAndre Jordan, then your next is Ennis Cantor, then your next is Carl Anthony Towns, then it's Jonas Valanciunas, then it's Dwight Howard. What? What about Kyle Lowry, and what about Evan Fournier, what about Chris Paul, and what about, right? These other, well, maybe if all of those players ranked that Damian Lillard, Isaiah Thomas, then we should have reevaluate how we treat Dunkers or big, tall guys around the rim. By the way, DeAndre Jordan got one shot off last night in 24 minutes. Rudy was brilliant on both ends. I got another guy uh, that I thought was really brilliant in this game. I'll talk about him in in just a moment. But first, let me tell you about Devin Cash of Equity Real Estate. Devin has uh, been helping out Locked on Jazz Listeners here for a while, uh, including Zach Campbell, who uh, wrote me this note. He says, I'm changing my pin to Bountiful Utah. How did I end up here? My love of the Utah Jazz, your hard work on the podcast, and Devin Cash. Devin Cash really went to bat for us. He ensured we got into our home and not just a house. He kept us in the loop every step of the way. He handled adversity like a champ. What most people don't realize about a realtor is their ability to establish rapport with the counterpart plays a huge role in how your sale proceeds. Devin is simply a downright good guy, which fosters positive relationships with everyone he interacts with. We have several other people vying for the house we purchased, and I credit Devin's interpersonal skills and real estate savviness returning to the mecca of the Utah Jazz in a perfect home. In addition, Devin facilitated my childhood dream since the early 90s, and I'm a proud Jazz season ticket. I think first row of the upper bowl is what I heard. That's from Zach Campbell. He used Devin Cash from Equity Real Estate. Devin approaches real estate as the heart of the teacher. Wanted to make sure that you're comfortable in a situation. He just loves doing what he does. It's wonderful to be around uh, those type of people. It's the same story we got from Charity and Ryan uh, earlier this year. So check out Devin Cash, 801-759-1495. That's 801-759-1495. 801-759-1495. Devin Cash, Equity Real Estate. I thought George Hill was terrific last night. Now, worth noting that the Jazz starters got blasted uh, to start the third quarter. The Jazz starters were very good to start the first quarter, and then uh, the Clippers starters came out with some force that they didn't have in the first part of uh, that game and dominated the opening part of third quarter. But I thought George Hill showed... Everything that we're getting from him this year, uh, he had ten points, eight rebounds, four steals, three or four assists, three steals. He played with a speed and a tempo to the game. He played with an assertiveness and a confidence. He, I thought, defended Chris Paul very, very well. He had an incredible block uh, in this game. He, we were, you know what? Just quite simply, we weren't at a disadvantage of the point guard position. The fact is that just about every single night for the last three years, we've been at a disadvantage at the point guard position. And last night, against the best in the game, we were not. George Hill is going to be a better Western Conference point guard than he was an Eastern Conference point guard because point guard play is so important. He's so good defensively. That block on Chris Paul was amazing. Chris Paul drove, went reverse side. George Hill stayed right with him and blocked it off the glass. It was awesome. But more, just the force he played, got the team into it, came off the pick and roll, hit a nice mid-range jumper, just was completely comfortable with how to run this team and play. And I I think without Gordon here for a little while, he's the one that's going to probably be the most important guy. Uh, We're going to need consistency out of Rodney, which we got last night. You know, Rod is going to have to carry uh, consistency. He's got that hand thing though, and it's going to bother him. He got hit in it early. I talked to him after the game, and he he said, "Yeah, it stings, man. It's going to. And he's just going to have to deal with it." Uh, but I think George Hill and an aggressiveness to him. The other one is if you look at great teams, they have really good rebounding guards. And when one thing we really missed from Alec last year was his rebounding. Late in games. Remember, the Jazz were the worst defensive rebounding team in the NBA in the final five minutes of close games. And Quinn's gone through every single one of those rebounds and plays in the off season and tried to analyze what was going on. And one of the things they realized was, you know, who was helping on the boards and who wasn't. And George Hill's late game, particularly rebounding, is going to be very important. Uh, final one I want to get to today. I, I just, Chris Johnson is, hey, I wish Chris Johnson wasn't a 31% career three-point shooter. And, you know, it would have been nice if Chris Johnson could have buried some shots at the end of last regular season when he got time. And, you know, if Chris Johnson could could make those shots, he would change who he is as a player and he'd have a regular home in the NBA. Because he's just just an incredible gamer, plays the game so hard. He gets in the fourth quarter. The numbers are against him. He's non-guaranteed. There's not a spot on this roster for him. And he gets out there, and he just like a total survivor and pro, plays 12 brilliant minutes of basketball, grabs a bunch of offensive rebounds, changes the game for the Jazz, makes three hustle plays that win the game for the Jazz, back cuts perfectly to get a layup. He does everything that you've got to do to be a winning player in the NBA. Awesome. I mean, really really awesome, and to his just credit there's not a there's not an ounce of him that's a feel sorry for me guy right now there's not an ounce of him that's like man i tried I busted my butt last year for seventy games trying to give this team everything I could, and I didn't and now i'm not you know, getting a chance to make the team again. No, he practices hard every day. He puts it out there. And yeah, his fact that he shot nine of 37 from right corner threes last year as a left-hander, meaning he shot 24% on the corner three where the league average is 38% and he's a three and D guy and he's not a three guy is going to cost him probably being able to make this team, right? The fact that, you know, leaving the right corner, which he shot 32%, he just, he didn't shoot well last year. He shot 27% from three, and unfortunately that's too close to his career average. That is probably going to prevent him from making the playoffs. And so much of all the excitement we have about this team is that, you know, we traded Joe Johnson for Chris Johnson, and I, I, or we traded Chris Johnson for Joe Johnson, and I get it. Um, but let's not underestimate the value of a guy like Chris Johnson and just how hard he plays And what he brings to the table. He's such a pro. I'm such a fan. Um, I I really, uh, you know, I hope that somebody in the NBA saw what he did last night. Because it mattered. And those are the kind of plays that get you um, NBA money. It's, It's all about, right? Making enough money to be an NBA guy again. I think it's unlikely with us. you never know, maybe that performance was enough to make the jazz alter their roster and and do some things. I think Neto looks very good in camp and could probably be get more time somehow uh but there's I don't know how you do that, so maybe you know you never know. maybe the jazz decide that they move someone to to open up something and and Chris just earned himself a job on our team that i I'd love that because I'm a huge fan uh but I just, what a pro. What an incredible pro last night. And that's where I wanted to end the show uh, today with that. Today's show was brought to you by Devin Cash of Equity Real Estate. Give him a call at 801-759-1495. That's 801-759-1495. Uh, again, 801-759-1495. And Sherlock Intelligence. Visit them at com. Let them do the data work. Really... If you're a company owner, this check them out. Check out Sherlock Uh, Intelligence. By the way, the show currently is sold out of uh, available advertising spots. We'll open up uh, sometime in October or maybe early November. So if you'd like to advertise on the program, let me know by emailing me at DLOCK09 at gmail.com. Get on the waiting list and see if we can plug in for sometime in late October, early November when the NBA season starts. That's DLOCK09 at gmail.com. This has been Locked On Jazz, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, the fastest growing audio sports network in the world.